Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. In each episode, you may notice that a background track has been provided, like this. This is a result of my editorial decision to include a background track when there is some interaction between a human and a jinn, an otherworldly being that is a common race that frequently appears in these tales. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue the story of the second royal dervish in the continuation of Night 13 and part of Night 14. Within this story is a nested tale of the story of the envier and the envied, which provides a moral tale for those who are envious. Within the story of the second royal dervish, we encounter, for the first time, an actual confrontation head-on with the jinn, in this case with Jajaris, where all other previous interactions were feats of intellectual battles. This confrontation showcases that humans can go head-to-head with the jinn. However, the cost of doing so is great. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. 
And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued upon this o my mistress i rejoiced exceedingly and eager to obtain his pardon i said to him what shall i choose from thy hands choose he answered into what form shall i change thee either the form of a dog or that of an ass or that of an ape i replied in my desire of forgiveness Warily, if thou wilt pardon me, Allah will pardon thee in recompense for thy showing mercy to a Muslim who hath done thee no injury. And I humbled myself in the most abject manner, and said to him, Pardon me as the envied man did the envier. And how was that? said he. I answered as follows. The story of the envier and the envied. It is said, O Ifrit, that in a certain city there were two men living in two houses, joined by a connecting wall. One of these two envied the other, and because of this he used the evil eye against him, and did all he could to injure him. And the more this person envied him, so much more did Allah increase the prosperity of the former. So far did this envy increase that the envier lost appetite, and no longer enjoyed the pleasure of sleep, and the more the envier tried to gain the upper hand, the more the other's prosperity increased and spread. Thus it continued a long time, but when the envied man found that his neighbor persisted in troubling him, he removed to a place where there was a deserted well with an old water wheel, and saying, By Allah, I shall abandon worldly things for his sake. And there he built for himself an oratory, and he endowed a small mosque for which he bought everything that was needed, and occupied himself with all sincerity in the worship of Almighty Allah. Numerous fakirs assembled around him, and he acquired great esteem, people repairing to him from every quarter, placing firm reliance upon his sanctity and his fame reached the ears of his envious neighbor who mounted his horse and went to visit him and when the envied man saw him he saluted him and paid him the utmost civility the envier then said to him i have come hither to inform thee of a matter in which thou wilt find advantage and for which i shall obtain a recompense in heaven the envied man replied, May Allah requite thee for me with every blessing. Then said the envier, Order the fakirs to retire to their cells, for the information that I am about to give thee I would have no one over here. So he ordered them to enter their cells, and the envier said to him, Arise, and let us walk together, and converse. And they walked on until they had come to the deserted well before mentioned when the envier pushed the envied man into this well without the knowledge of anyone and went his way imagining that he had killed him but this well was inhabited by jinn who had received him unhurt and seated him upon a large stone and when they had done this and one of them said to the others do ye know this man they answered we know him not 
This, said he, is the envied man who fled from him who envied him, and took up his abode in this quarter, in the neighboring oratory, and who entertained us by his zikr and his readings. And when his envier heard of him, he came hither to him, and devising a stratagem against him, threw him down here. His fame hath this night reached the sultan of this city, who hath purposed to visit him tomorrow on account of the affliction which hath befallen his daughter. And what, said they, hath happened to his daughter? He answered, Madness, for Maimun the son of Demdem hath become inflamed with love for her, and her cure is the easiest of things. They asked him, What is it? And he answered, The black cat that is with him in the oratory hath at the end of her tail a white spot of the size of a piece of silver, and from this white spot should be taken seven hairs, and with these the damsel should be fumigated, and the marid would depart from over her head and not return to her, so she would be instantly cured. And now it is our duty to take him out. When the morning came, the fakirs saw the sheikh rising out of the well, and he became magnified in their eyes. And when he entered the oratory, he took from the white spot at the end of the cat's tail seven hairs, and placed them in a portfolio by him. And at sunrise, the sultan came to him, and when the sheikh saw him, he said to him, O Sultan, thou hast come to visit me in order that I may cure thy daughter. The Sultan replied, Yes, O virtuous Sheikh. Then said the Sheikh, Send some person to bring her hither, and I trust in Allah, whose name be exalted, that she may be instantly cured. And when the Sultan had brought his daughter, the sheikh beheld her bound, and seating her, suspended a curtain over her, and took out the hairs, and fumigated her with them, whereupon the marid cried out from her head, and left, and the damsel immediately recovered her reason, and wailing her face, said to her father, What is this? And wherefore did thou bring me to this place? He answered her, Thou hast nothing to fear, and rejoiced greatly. He kissed the hand of the envied sheikh, and said to the great men of his court who were with him, What shall be the recompense of the sheikh for that which he hath done? They answered, His recompense should be that thou marry him to her. Ye have spoken truly, said the sultan, and he gave her in marriage to him, making him his son-in-law. And thus the sheikh became a connection of the sultan. Shortly afterwards, the vizier died, and when the sultan asked who should replace him, the courtiers said, Your son-in-law. So he was appointed vizier, and after some days the sultan died, and he was made sultan in his place. One day, as he was riding out, the envier happened to be passing by and saw the man he envied in his imperial state among his emirs, viziers, and officers of state. The sultan's eye fell on him, and turning to one of his viziers, he said, Bring me that man, but do not alarm him. When his envious neighbor was brought to him, he seated him upon a horse, with high distinction and honor, and taking him to his palace, he said, Give this man a thousand 
Mythcalls of gold from my treasury and a costly dress. Load twenty camels for him with trade goods and send a guard and with attendants to escort him to his house. Then he took his leave of the man who envied him and reapproached him for nothing. Consider then, O Ifrit, the pardon of the envied to the envier and his kindness to him, notwithstanding the injuries he hath done him. The Ifrit, when he had heard this story, replied, Lengthen not thy words to me, as to my killing thee, fear it not, and as to my pardoning thee, covet it not, but as to my enchanting thee, there is no escape from it. And so saying, he clove the earth asunder, and soared with me through the sky to such a height that I beheld the world beneath me as though it were a bowl of water. At this point, lady, I wept most bitterly before him and recited, Forgive those who do wrong, for the wise man forgives wrongdoers for their evil deeds. If every fault is mine, every forgiveness should be yours. Who hopes that his superior will pardon him has to forgive inferiors their faults. Then alighting upon a mountain, he took up a little dust, and having muttered and pronounced certain words over it, sprinkled me with it, saying, Quit this form, and take the form of an ape, whereupon I became like an ape of a hundred years of age. When I saw myself changed into this ugly form, I wept for myself, but determined to be patient under the tyranny of fortune, knowing it to be constant to no one. I descended from the summit of the mountain, and having journeyed for the space of a month, arrived at the seashore, and when I had stood there a short time, I saw a vessel in the midst of the sea, with a favorable wind approaching the land. I therefore hid myself behind a rock on the beach, and when the ship came close up, I sprang into the midst of it. But as soon as the persons on board saw me, one of them cried, Turn out this unlucky brute from the ship. Another said, Let us kill him. And a third exclaimed, I will kill him with this sword. I, however, caught hold of the end of the sword, and tears flowed from my eyes, at the sight of which the captain took compassion on me and said to the passengers, O merchants, this ape hath sought my aid, and I give it to him. He is under my protection, that no one therefore oppose or trouble him. He then treated me with kindness, and whatever he said to me I understood, and all that he required to be done I performed as his servant. We continued our voyage for fifty days with a fair wind, and cast anchor under a large city containing a population which no one but Allah, whose name be exalted, could reckon. And when we had moored our vessel, there came to us some Mamluks from the Sultan of the city, who came on board the ship, and complimented the merchants on their safe arrival, saying, Our Sultan greeteth you, rejoicing in your safety, and hath sent to you this roll of paper, desiring that each of you shall write a line upon it. For the Sultan had a vizier, who was an eminent calligraphist, and he is dead, and the Sultan hath sworn that he will not appoint any person to his office who cannot write equally well. 
though in the form of an ape, I arose and snatched a paper from their hands, upon which, fearing that I would tear it and throw it into the sea, they cried out against me, and would have killed me, but I made signs to them that I could write, and the captain said to them, Suffer him to write, and if he scribble, we will turn him away, but if he write well, I will adopt him as my son, for I have never seen a more intelligent ape. So I took my pen and demanded the ink, and wrote an epistolary hand in this couplet. Fame hath recorded the virtue of the noble, but no one hath been able to reckon thine. May Allah not deprive mankind of such a father, for thou art the parent of every excellence. Then in a more formal large hand I wrote the following verses. There is no writer that shall not perish, but what his hand hath written endureth ever. Write therefore nothing but what will please thee, when thou shalt see it on the day of resurrection. Then I took the pen, dipped it in the inkwell, and wrote in the Rukai script. Time has recorded the excellence of the generous, but up till now your excellence has not been written down. May Allah not orphan all mankind of you, who are the mother and father of every excellence. Then I wrote in Raihani script, he has a pen that serves every land. Its benefits are shared by all mankind. The Nile cannot rival the loveliness that your five fingers extend to every part. Then in the Tuluth script I wrote, The writer perishes, but what he writes remains recorded for all time. Write only what you will be pleased to see when the day of resurrection comes. Then I wrote in Nask, when we were told you were about to leave, as time's misfortunes had decreed, we brought to the mouth of inkwells with the tongues of pens what we complained of in the pain of parting. Then I wrote in the Tumar script, No one holds the Khalifate forever. If you do not agree, where is the first Khalif? So plant the shoots of virtuous deeds, and when you are deposed, no one will depose them. Then I wrote in the Muhakkuk script, Open the inkwell of grandeur and of blessings. Make generosity and liberality your ink. When you are able, write down what is good. This will be taken as your lineage and that of your pen. Two other specimens I wrote in two different and smaller hands and returned the paper to the Mamluks, who took it back to the Sultan and when he saw what was written upon it, the hand of no one pleased him excepting mine, and he said to his attendants, Go to the author of this handwriting, put upon him this dress, and mount him upon a mule, and conduct him with the band of music before him to my presence. On hearing this order, they smiled, and the sultan was angry with them, and said, how is it that I give you an order, and ye laugh at me? They answered, O Sultan, we laugh not at thy words, but because he who wrote this is an ape, and not a son of Adam. He is with the captain of the ship newly arrived. The Sultan was astonished at their words, and he shook with delight, and said, I would purchase this ape. He then sent some messengers to the ship, with the mule and the dress of honor, saying to them, 
ye must clothe him in this dress, and mount him upon the mule, and bring him hither. So they came to the ship, and taking me from the captain, clad me with the dress, and the people were astonished, and flocked to amuse themselves with the sight of me. And when they brought me to the sultan, I beheld him, and I kissed the ground before him three times, and he ordered me to sit down. So I sat down upon my knees, and the persons present were surprised at my gentle manners, and especially the sultan, who presently ordered his people to retire. They therefore did so, none remaining but the sultan, and a eunuch, and a young mamluk, and myself. The sultan then commanded, that a repast should be brought, and they placed before him a service of viands, such as grafted the appetite and delighted the eye, and on which was everything that frisks or flies, or mates in nests, such as sand grouse, quails, and all other species of birds, and the sultan made a sign to me that I should eat, whereupon I arose, and having kissed the ground before him seven times, sat down to eat with him, and when the table was removed, I washed my hands, and taking the ink case and pen and paper, I wrote these two verses. Great is my appetite for thee, O Kunafe. I cannot be happy, nor endure without thee. Be thou every day and night my food, and may drops of honey not be wanting to moisten thee. And wrote these lines. Turn aside with the chickens in the spring camp of the saucers, and weep for the loss of fritters and the partridges. Mourn the daughters of the sand grouse, whom I do not cease to lament, together with fried chickens and the stew. Alas for the two sorts of fish served on a twisted loaf. How splendid and how tasty was the roasted meat, with fat that sank into the vinegar in the pots. Whenever hunger shakes me, I spend the night applying myself to a pie as bracelets glint. I am reminded of this merry meal when I eat, on tables strewn with various brocades. Endure, my soul, time is the lord of wonders. One day is straitened, but the next day may bring relief. Having done this, I arose and seated myself at a distance, and the sultan, looking at what I had written, read it with astonishment and exclaimed, Can an ape possess such fluency and such skill in calligraphy? This is indeed a wonder of wonders. Then some special wine was brought in a glass, which he drank before passing it to me. I kissed the ground, drank, and then wrote, They burned me with fire to make me speak but I found I could endure misfortune. For this reason, hands have lifted me, and I kissed the mouths of lovely girls. I added the lines. Dawn has called out to the darkness, so pour me wine that leaves the intelligent as a fool. It is so delicate and pure that I cannot tell whether it is in the glass or the glass is in it. Afterwards a chess table was brought to the sultan, and he said to me, Wilt thou play? By a motion of my head I answered yes, and I advanced and arranged the pieces. I played with him twice, and beat him, and the sultan was perplexed and said, 
were this a man, he would surpass all the people of his age. Then I took the inkwell and the pen and wrote these lines on the chessboard. Two armies fight throughout the day, the battle growing fiercer every hour. But when night's darkness covers them, both sleep together in one bed. On reading this, the sultan was moved to wonder, delight, and astonishment. He then said to his eunuch, Go to thy mistress, said al-Husun, and say to her, Answer the summons of the sultan, that she may come and gratify her curiosity by the sight of this wonderful ape. The eunuch therefore went and returned with his mistress, the sultan's daughter, who, as soon as she saw me, wailed her face and said, O my father, how is it that thou art pleased to send for me and suffer strange men to see me? O my daughter, answered the sultan, there is no one here but the young Mamluk and the eunuch who brought thee up and this ape with myself thy father. From whom then dost thou wail thy face? This ape, said she, is the son of a sultan, and the name of his father is Amar. He is enchanted, and it was the Ifrit Jarjaris, a descendant of Iblis, who transformed him after having slain his own wife, the daughter of the sultan Iftamas. This whom thou supposest to be an ape is a learned and wise man. The sultan was amazed at his daughter's words, and looking towards me said, Is it true that she said of thee? I answered by a motion of my head, Yes, and wept. The sultan then said to his daughter, By what means didst thou discover that he was enchanted? O oh, my father, she answered, I had with me in my younger years an old woman who was a cunning enchantress, and she taught me the art of enchantment. I have committed its rules to memory, and know it thoroughly, being acquainted with a hundred and seventy modes of performing it, by the least of which I could transport the stones of thy city beyond Mount Kaf, and make its sight to be an abyss of the sea, and convert its inhabitants into fish in the midst of it. I conjure thee then, by the name of Allah, said her father, to restore this young man, that I may make him my vizier. Is it possible that thou possessest this excellence, and I knew it not? Restore him, that I may make him my vizier, for he is a polite and intelligent youth. She replied, with pleasure, and taking a knife upon which were engraved some Hebrew names, marked with it a circle in the midst of the palace. Night 14 Morning now dawned, and Sherazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the fourteenth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shanshah, that the dervish said to the lady of the house, The princess took in her hand a knife inscribed with Hebrew characters, and with this she cut a circle in the middle of the palace. Within this she wrote certain names and talismans, and then she pronounced invocations, 
and uttered unintelligible words, and soon the palace around us became immense in gloom to such a degree that we thought the whole world was overspread. And lo, the jinn appeared before us in a most hideous shape with hands like winnowing forks and legs like masts, and eyes like burning torches, so that we were terrified at him. The Sultan's daughter exclaimed, No welcome to thee, to which the jinn, assuming the form of a lion, replied, Thou traitorous, how is it that thou hast broken thine oath? Did we not swear that we would not oppose one another? Thou wretch, said she, when didst thou receive an oath? The jinn stood in the form of a lion, then exclaimed, Take what awaiteth thee, and opening his mouth rushed upon the lady, but she instantly plucked a hair from her head and muttered with her lips, whereupon the hair became converted into a piercing sword, with which she struck the lion, and he was cleft in twain by the blow, but his head became changed into a scorpion. The lady immediately transformed herself into an enormous serpent, and crept after the execrable wretch in the the shape of a scorpion and a sharp contest endured between them, after which the scorpion became an eagle and the serpent, changing to a vulture, pursued the eagle for a length of time. The latter then transformed himself into a black cat and the sultan's daughter became a wolf and they fought together long and fiercely till the cat, seeing himself overcame, changed himself into a large red pomegranate which fell into a pool but the wolf pursuing it it ascended into the air then fell upon the pavement of the palace and broke in pieces its grains becoming scattered each apart from the others all spread about the whole space of ground enclosed by the palace the wolf upon this transformed itself into a cock in order to pick up the grains and not leave one of them but according to the decree of fate, one grain remained hidden by the side of the pool of the fountain. The cock began to cry and flapped its wings and made a sign to us with its beak, but we understood not what it would say. It then uttered at us such a cry that we thought the palace had fallen down upon us, and it ran about the whole ground till it saw the grain that had lain hid by the side of the pool, and when it pounced upon it to pick it up, but it fell into the midst of the water and became transformed into a fish, and sank into the water, upon which the cock became a fish of a larger size, and plunged in after the other. For a while it was absent from our sight. But at length we heard a loud cry, and trembled at the sound, after which the Ifrit rose as a flame of fire, casting fire from his mouth, and fire and smoke from his eyes and nostrils. The Sultan's daughter also became a vast body of fire. The two fought for a time, until both were covered by thick flames, and the palace was choked with smoke, and we would have plunged into the water from fear of our being burnt and destroyed. The Sultan recited the formula, There is no might and no power except with Allah, the Exalted, the Omnipotent. We belong to Allah, and to Him do we return. He added, I wish that I had not forced her to do this in order to rescue this ape. 
placing so large a burden on her to confront this damned ifrit who cannot be matched by all the ifrits to be found in the world. I wish that I had never known this ape. May Allah give him no blessing now or ever. I had wanted to do him a favor for Allah's sake and to free him from his spell, but my heart has been weighed down by misfortune. Meanwhile, I myself, lady, was tongue-tied and could not say anything to him. But suddenly the Ifrit cried out from within the fire and came towards us upon the Liwan, blowing fire at our faces. The lady, however, overtook him and blew the fire in a like manner on his face, and some sparks struck us both from her and from him. Her sparks did us no harm, but the one from him struck me in my eye and destroyed it. I being still in the form of an ape, and a spark from him reached the side of the sultan and burned the lower half with his beard and mouth and struck out his lower teeth. Another spark also fell upon the breast of the eunuch, who was burnt and died immediately. We expected destruction and gave up all hope of preserving our lives. But when we were in this state, a voice commanded, Allah is the most great, Allah is the most great. He hath conquered and aided and abandoned the denier of the faith of Muhammad, peace be upon him, the chief of mankind. He has given victory and aid and has confounded those who disbelieve in the religion of Muhammad. Peace be upon him. The radiant moon, the person from whom this voice proceeded, was the Sultan's daughter. She had burnt the jinn, and when we looked towards him, we perceived that he had become a heap of ashes. The lady then came to us and said, Bring me a cup of water. And when it was brought to her, she pronounced over it some words which we understood not, and sprinkling me with it, said, Be restored by virtue of the name of the truth, and by virtue of the most great name of Allah to thy original form. Whereupon I became a man as I was at first, excepting that my eye was destroyed. After this she cried out, The fire, the fire, O oh my father, I shall no longer live, for I am predestined to be killed. Had he been a human being, I had killed him at the first of the encounter. I experienced no difficulty till the scattering of the grains of the pomegranate, which I picked them up excepting the one in which was the life of the jinn. Had I picked up that, he had died instantly, but I saw it not, as fate and destiny had appointed, and suddenly he came upon me, and a fierce contest ensured between us under the earth and in the air and in the water, and every time that he tried against me a new mode, I employed against him one more potent, till he tried against me the mode of fire, and rarely does one escape against whom the mode of fire is employed. Destiny, however, aided me, so that I burnt him first, but I exhorted him previously to embrace the faith of Islam. Now I die, and may Allah supply my place to you. Having thus said, she ceased not to pray for relief 
from the fire, and lo, a spark ascended to her breast, and hence to her face, and when it reached her face, she wept and exclaimed, I testify that there is no deity but Allah, and I testify that Muhammad, peace be upon him, is God's apostle. We then looked towards her, and saw that she had become a heap of ashes by the side of the ashes of the Ifrit. We were plunged into grief on her account, and I wish that I had been in her place rather than have seen that sweet-faced creature who had done me this kindness reduced to a heap of ashes, but the decree of Allah cannot be averted. The Sultan, on beholding his daughter in this state, plucked out what remained of his beard, and slapped his face, and rent his clothes, and I also did the same, while we both wept for her. Then came the Chamberlains and the other officers of the court, who, finding the Sultan in a state of insensibility, with two heaps of ashes before him, were astonished and remained encompassing him until he recovered from his fit, when he informed them of what had befallen his daughter with the Ifrit, and great was their affliction. The women shrieked with the female slaves and continued their mourning seven days. After this, the Sultan gave orders to build over the ashes of his daughter a great tomb with a dome and illuminated it with candles and lamps. But the ashes of the Ifrit they scattered in the wind, exposing them to the curse of Allah. The Sultan then fell sick and was near unto death. His illness lasted a month, but after this he recovered his health and summoning me to his presence, said to me, Young man, we passed our days in the enjoyment of the utmost happiness, secure from the vicissitudes of fortune, and protected from the calamities of time, until thou camest to us, when troubles overcame us. Would that we have never seen thee, nor thy ugly form, on account of which we have been reduced to this state of privation, and, for it is you who had brought me to ruin, for in the first place I have lost my daughter, who was worth a hundred men, and secondly I have suffered this burning and lost my teeth. My eunuch is also dead, but it was not in thy power to prevent these afflictions. The decree of Allah hath been fulfilled on us and on thee. And praise be to Allah that my daughter restored thee, though she destroyed herself. Now, however, depart, O my son, from my city. It is enough that hath happened on thy account, for you have caused enough suffering, but it was decreed against us and thee. Depart in peace. But if you come back and I see you again, I shall kill you. He shouted at me and I left his presence, scarcely believing that I had escaped and without knowing where to go. I thought over what had happened to me, how I had been abandoned on my journey, how I had escaped from my attackers, how I had walked for a month before entering the city as a stranger, how I had met the tailor and then the girl in the underground chamber, 
and how I had escaped from the Ifrit who had wanted to kill me. I relived all my emotions from the beginning to the end, and I gave praise to Allah, saying, It cost me my eye, but not my life. So I departed, O my mistress, from his presence. But before I quitted the city, I entered a public bath and shaved my beard, after which I put on a black hair shirt and poured dust over my head. There is not a day on which I do not weep, thinking of the disasters that have struck me and the loss of my eye. Every time I think of this, I shed tears and recite these lines. By Allah the Merciful, surely my affair bewilders me. I do not know the source of my sorrows that have surrounded me. I shall endure until endurance itself cannot match mine, continuing until Allah closes my affairs. I may be conquered, but I shall not show pain, as a thirsty man endures in a hot valley. I shall endure until endurance itself learns. I can endure what is more bitter than aloes, itself the bitterest of all, but bitterer than all this would be for patience to betray me. The secrets of my secret heart are its interpreter. At the heart of the secret is my heart's secret love for you. Were the mountains to feel my sorrow, they would be crushed, fire would be quenched, and winds would cease to blow. Whoever claims that time Old sweetness must sometimes meet a day more bitter than aloes. I traversed various regions and passed through great cities and bent my course to the abode of peace, Baghdad, in the hope of obtaining an interview with the Prince of the Faithful that I might relate to him all that had befallen me. I arrived at the city tonight, and I found this first companion of mine standing in perplexity. I greeted him and talked to him, and then our third companion arrived, greeted us, and told us that he was a stranger. So are we, the two of us said, and we have only just come on this blessed night. The three of us then walked together without knowing each other's stories until fate brought us to this door and we came into your presence. This then is the reason why my beard and moustache have been shaven and my eye gouged out. The third dervish then advanced and thus related his story. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 9. First, let us look at the terms that were used in this episode. Oratory. A small chapel, especially for private worship. Zikr. Consists of repeating the name of Allah or the profession of unity in chorus, accompanying the words by certain motions of the head, hands, or whole body. Maymun. An Arabic term for monkey or baboon. Portfolio, hinged or flexible case for carrying loose papers, pictures, or pamphlets. Mythicals, unit of mass equal to 4.25 grams and mostly used for measuring precious metals such as gold or other commodities like saffron. Couplet, two successive lines of verse forming a unit marked usually by rhythmic rhyme, or self-contained utterance. Kunafe, 
a kind of a pastry made of wheat flour, moistened with clarified butter, then baked and sweetened with honey and sugar. Liwan, a long narrow fronted hall or vaulted portal often open to the outside. Rukhai script, writing style of Arabic script intended for the rapid production of text. Simple and plain style used in everyday writings and signs. Rihani script, one of the six canonical scripts of Persio-Arabic calligraphy. Rihani means basil, finer variant of the Muhakkak script likened to flowers and leaves of a basil plant, developed during the Abbasid era by Ibn al-Bawab. Tuluth script, script variety of Islamic calligraphy, one third of each letter slopes which the name Tuluth, meaning a third, refers to, used for writing the headings of surahs on the Quran. Naqsh script, smaller, rounder script of Islamic calligraphy, one of the first scripts to develop commonly used in writing administrative documents and transcribing books. Tumar script, defined by the size of the pen used, serves as a core standard used by the caliphs in signatures. Muhakkuk script, one of the six types of calligraphic script in Arabic. Muhakkuk means consummate or clear, used to donate any accompanying piece of calligraphy. Fritters, portions of meat, seafood, fruit or vegetables, or any other ingredients which have been battered or breaded and is deep fried both sweet or savory. Sand grouse, ground-dwelling birds restricted to treeless open country such as plains, savannas, and semi-deserts. Now on to the vocabulary section. Glint, to give off reflections in brilliant flashes. Endowed, to furnish with an income or to provide something freely or naturally. Sanctity, holiness of life and character, the quality or state of being holy or sacred. Stratagem, clearly contrived of scheme for gaining an end. Fumigated, to apply smoke, vapor or gas, especially for the purpose of disinfecting or destroying pests. Recompense, to give something by way of compensation or to pay for. Specimens, an individual item or part considered typical of a group, class, or whole. Viands, an item of food, especially a tasty or choice dish. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.